Lodging Editor-in-Chief Dennis Nessler sits down with Chris Green, the newly named president of Remington Hotels, to discuss the state of the Dallas-based third-party management company. All right. So anyway, Chris, welcome, welcome aboard, uh, and congratulations on the promotion at Remington uh, to president. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, you know your reaction. I know you've you've been there for several months now, um, and uh, is this something you anticipated and, and something you were looking forward to. Thanks, Dennis. It's good to be with you again, and good to see you. No, I, frankly, it wasn't something I anticipated. You know, Sloan and I had discussed uh, at the beginning of the merger that he he did he wasn't one hundred percent sure what my role would be. He knew he wanted me in the organization, but we weren't sure if I was going to be working more on the development side or, you know, leaning into operations uh, or where that might exactly fit. My primary, my primary job when we came over was to make sure that the integration went well and that we got the Chesapeake properties over. As we, as we kind of navigated through that, and now that the Remington portfolio is 60-40 institutional and 40% third party, I think Sloan saw an opportunity to take my experience and use it in a greater manner. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the transition of, of Chesapeake and how that's gone, the integration? It's gone really well. You know, it started with uh, most everybody doesn't know, but we started talking in August of 21. So we spent about just under you know eight months dating, trying to figure out if it was the right thing. Um, and uh, what was evident in the beginning was Sloan and I thought exactly the same about culture. You know, that, and, and you know me, that's always been my primary focus is the throughput of great culture is a great organization and great financial results and great partners. But Sloan really has this vision for Remington to be, you know, a lot like what Chesapeake was, a culture leader. You know, you know we talk about the place where passionate people thrive. And if you remember Chesapeake, it was experience what's possible. So when you think of those two kind of taglines put together, you know, possibility exists in places where you have passionate people. And we've really leaned into that. So, so that was the first part. So that came together really quickly. Um, as far as commercial and operations, that came together really quickly. Remington is a world-class operator with, you know, for me, is a little bit selfish, right? I, and I took Chesapeake and supercharged it. I got access to world-class digital marketing department, massive commercial department, massive accounting and um, IT technical resource department. So there were things that I was able to do as, as a mid-sized company that I couldn't get done that I could do at Remington. And so that was a huge benefit to our client base. So I, I think it's gone great. You know, it's never as easy as you think it's going to be. As a, as a glass half full guy, we thought we'd be all done with it in 90 days. But if you've been through a merger or acquisition, that's just not true. There's always things yeah. that... You're like, well, that didn't work out as we thought. But right, right. the good news is, the good news is we had two organizations that wanted it to succeed, right? So everybody just kind of leaned into it, and, and I'm happy to say we're 99% integrated now. So, oh, that's great. That's great. So, um, when you talk about, uh, I know the press release mentioned a, a high touch management partner. What does that mean for you? What, what how, how would you explain that? For me, it's all about, it's not just about the, the wording high touch. It's more about your operating philosophy. And instead of just, listen, we all know how to run hotels, right? There's a lot of good managed organizations that know how to operate hotels, but there's, I've always talked about having a team that looks over the horizon. So, you know, a lot of people will see what's evident in their competitive set of hotels or, and then that's just the framework they're going to work in. I believe in looking past that and having a, a, a slate of professionals that are so in tune with 
the owner's investment thesis and with what's possible that they that they look outside that and they push results that nobody thought was possible. And, and really that's where it comes down to, Dennis, is third-party hotel management is about knowing the client, their thesis for the hotel. It doesn't do any good to take the standard, you know, institutional operating thesis for a hotel and say, I'm gonna put that right on top of your double tree in San Antonio. Oh, this owner may want it to be more about their personal relationship with the city and they want to make sure that regardless of financials they're going to have world-class guest service or just knowing what matters to those owners it's really about it, like what do you call it curated responses to needs it's not one size fits all and I think that's the real risk as you grow right because to grow to be scalable you have to have repeatable I agree but you don't have to have repeatable in relationship mm -hmm. everything's different and so to me, that's the biggest difference, right? I, we want to have great accounting and great reports and great revenue management. And we have all that. But what, we've, what we're going to have and what we already have the people to do with and Chesapeake brings to the table is relationships, right? That matter, that are strong, that can weather good and bad times together. You know, I'm happy to tell you, we didn't lose any properties through the pandemic. So that's because of trust, right? Yeah, no question. No question. Yeah. So you guys actually in 2022, I think your, your occupancy and, and revenue are both increased. Yes. Well, yeah, we're having a great year, frankly, knock on wood. So um, we had a great year. We, we did a great job. Uh, the combined entities, again, very similar philosophy, leaned into our people, leaned into our culture, helped people to understand how we needed to be ready when times came for us to get back to it. And times came sooner than everybody predicted, which is great. So we're having a really strong year as a company. And, you know, it's generated a lot of energy and excitement with our team about the future. Yeah. Uh, I, I know in the past, um, 2019 was kind of the benchmark for everybody at, with COVID, following COVID anyway. Um, are, are, you, are we kind of past that? So I think on a nominal basis, we're going to be very close to 2019's RevPAR numbers. Okay. Um, and actually profitability per room is up in general, because of it, a lot of this is coming from rate this year, which we've done a great job managing rates through the pandemic. So I think, but the problem is on an inflation adjusted basis, we've still got several years to go to get back to where we were. So while there's a lot of energy and momentum around, and we are, we're having a great year. I, if you would have told me in the middle of 21, I was going to have this kind of year in 22, I would have definitely signed up for it right then because I feel like we're back to doing the hotel business. We, we definitely still have some solid headwinds we're, that we're going to run into. Um, but then we have some benefits too, like the lack of a pipeline for new development. That's helping, right? So demand is strong, but then you got labor on the other side. It's, it's interesting. There's a big tug of war going between the headwinds and then the tailwinds. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the supply certainly has been impacted, um, but that could be a good thing for fundamentals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for operators, it's a great thing. And for existing hotels, it's a great thing. And frankly, some hotels have seen a decrease in supply. So, you know, some have some hotels have gone over to multifamily or other uses. And that's, I mean, that's taking inventory out of the marketplace, which is always a win normally. So, mm -hmm. um, Chris, how many properties does Remington currently have? Currently operating properties, 118. We're in 26 states. Um, and I think the count's 27 brands. So, and, and pretty as, wide. You, yeah, as you look forward, as you go forward, what you know, do you have any numbers in mind for 
for how big uh, the company can get? We really haven't been setting number goals, even since we started. You know, Sloan is a lot like, as far as Kim Sims was, not the biggest, but the best. So the, the, the remit that I have is we can take on as many properties as we want, as long as we maintain that relationship-based, personalized touch service where each owner and each property feels special and curated to and cared for. Um, because I promise you, I, like out of the 30 capital partners we have, 28 of them want it done differently, a little bit here and there. And that's okay, right? It's it's not one size fits all business. Just like just like one hotel, one double tree in Houston is different than a double tree in Massachusetts. They're just different and they need to be treated different. The owner groups need to be treated different. And if you do that, if you can figure out that formula, that's how you're going to win. And, and I'm pretty sure we've got to figure it out. Yeah. What, what do you see in terms of the management landscape in general uh, with, you know, with what, everything that's gone on for the last couple of years? Um, you know, obviously relationships are critical. Uh, and you mentioned that a little bit before, but what do you, what do you kind of see? What's your impression of the, of the landscape in general right now? So I think it's getting tougher. You know, as you probably remember, we were, Chesapeake was 26th largest management company and Remington was in like maybe 12. What I was noticing is even with my relationships, the ability to with some of the mega managers that are out there now, my ability to get in the mix and in the conversation on development early enough to win the deal was getting muted. That was my challenge, right? I, I think I still, to this day, I think we could have operated against them, performed against them, but it was really getting in the, in the, in the conversations to do new deals. That was the challenge. That's where scale matters. And frankly, scale matters on, you know, insurance costs, scale matters on, your ability to have resources. So, and those are the delicate balances. And it's one thing that keeps me up at night. It's how do we, how do we get big without feeling big? Because to be frank, Dennis, this is a lot bigger company than I was used to. So there's been a big learning for me, adapting to a much bigger organization, going from 44 to 270 corporate associates. That's a big change. Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, culturally though, I think there were a lot of synergies, right? I mean, um, you guys kind of of uh, similar operations and how you did things. Yeah, we, we it was great. Actually, that that was the part that was so nice was sliding right into the culture. At least I could feel comfortable in that, right? Even though I had to learn some new operating systems and new, you know, expense report systems or whatever, I could lean into the culture because I felt comfortable. And, and I've started doing my one on ones with all of my new verticals that I'm working with, all the VP level and above, getting to meet people. And um, everybody has said that's the thing they were most excited about was the alignment of culture. And honestly, what they've heard from me so far about what I believe, that it just really syncs up with what they believe. So I think for the management landscape, I'm going to go back to your question, that, that now that I've seen the other side of it, I think, that you, I think that scale is really is very, very valuable. It's very valuable. I can, I, you know, I'll give you an example. I can pull a a digital audit on an asset where somebody wants to know how they're performing and I can have, I can ask for it today and I can have it tomorrow morning. You know, before it would have taken me, you know, four or five days to get somebody to do it. And it was something that wasn't their main job. I've got a digital department that just handles that stuff for me. lets me know where there's opportunities, where we can drive revenue. Um, it, it's just the, the benefits are ever so slightly tweaked up. Like I said, it's taken what I used to know and supercharging it. So I think that that's the next step in the evolution of management is, is um, 
Not that you can't have a small boutique company. I think you can, but I do think it's going to mute the opportunities to win. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see ahead for 23? What are, you, what are your expectations for, for 23 uh, going forward? So, you know me, I'm an optimist. I like 23 for demand. I like 23 for ref bar. I think it's going to be, I don't know, star said uh, three, uh, six, two, five, two, something like that. It's still going to be uneven. You know, what's been interesting about the portfolio we have is we have a lot of resort locations, a lot of secondary tertiary locations, city center locations, but primarily full service upper upscale. Um, but we have a portion that are, you know, if, the, if our whole portfolio is going to be net level or slightly down to 19 on a nominal basis, we have hotels that are down still 15, 25%. Those are city center, urban, that we still don't have the business traveler back, which is, I think it's negative for those hotels, but it's a win for us because we're going to continue accelerating because while our the rest of our estate's going to go up to 5-2 that Star is saying or whatever the number is, I've got another set of hotels that are going to have compound growth, right? They're going to see ref bar growth and BT starting to come back. So mm -hmm. they're going to see 15, 18% growth, which I think is going to drive really strong performance. Uh, then I, mean, I have to, go ahead. Yeah. Then I have to say, well, we might have a minor recession and well, we have these labor issues, but I also have thoughts on labor and I think you've heard me talk about them too. So no question. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about that as well, but, <laughs> but you do see, you do see business travel coming back next year or to, to at least some, some degree. Yeah, I think the problem is, is we're not going to be able to identify it. The problem is, is I've seen it showing up in other segments. So that's the biggest challenge. I think pure business traveler, we've seen a lot of the small and mid-sized companies come back, but, but the Pfizer's and the, you know, the, the, um, the support companies, the analysts, uh, the auditors, they're just not traveling like they used to the big ones, right? Amazon, they're just not, but, but there is travel showing up in small meetings Right. And it's, so it's a small meeting and then it's two days on each end of the small meeting for meetings in that city by business travelers. Right. So that's showing up in groups of meetings. And then you have leisure showing up on Saturday, Sunday, but then all of a sudden they're staying Monday, Tuesday and doing sales calls. So the hard part is, is defining, is it out there? Right. So you're having to get into granular and see what their email is or how they book the reservation because people aren't able to spend their leisure stay and then stay Monday, Tuesday by booking it through their normally their corporate engine. So they're using a different engine to get it. So it's interesting. You're having to do detective work to figure out how much it's back. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, I think we're going to be 65 to 70% of historical BT, true BT next year. So. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's uh, significantly better than it was a couple of years ago. Right. So, yeah. Um, all right. We're going to do a lightning round as I promised. Okay. So, I'm ready. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hold you to a word because I think that would be a little unrealistic. But we'll we'll just try to do a couple, a sentence or two on each of these topics. All right. You know so, me too well. No one word answers. Okay. That's right. Right. So go ahead, labor. Labor. Uh, you gotta. You gotta win your competitive set of marketplace for the best people. You can if you have a great hotel. Great. Um, transaction market slowed down a little bit with interest rates. Very sluggish. Probably slower still. First half of the year. Okay um wages wage growth flattening out uh actually maybe softening and pulling back just a hair okay homeless and hotels thoughts no why not it's the worst idea ever i think you're putting the associates at the hotel at tremendous risk yeah i would agree home sharing industry uh, airbnb and the like impact 
Uh, it's been around. I mean, we're and we're going to be at all-time high rev cars and coming back on all-time high occupancies. It does have an impact, but it's. I think it's been largely absorbed into the business. All right, great, Chris. We appreciate your time. Thanks very much, and uh, look forward to talking to you down the line. Yep, absolutely. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Lodging on Demand. If you want more content like this, subscribe to Lodging Magazine on YouTube. You can also subscribe to Lodging on Demand wherever you get your podcasts. For news and updates, follow at Lodging Magazine on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Or visit us at lodgingmagazine.com.